0: This sermon, Persevering Patience, was preached by Tim Lambrose on Sunday, June 27, 2021 at Sovereign Grace Church. Let's stand now and let's read verses 7 through 11 from James chapter 5, starting in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have met and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Please take your seats. Let's pray again. Lord, you know my needs greater than I know my needs. For you see all and know all. Everybody's sitting here, everybody that might be listening at home, you know where they are. And we have need to hear from you. As we prayed earlier, Lord, we have need for gospel advance in our lives. We have need for much fruit to come from Expositing your word, so would you grant us that mercy as we preach and study through this text in Jesus' name? I pray, Amen. You know, most of you have probably gone through a job interview, and if you think about it, a job interview is kind of an interesting thing. We all do it, of course. Um, but years ago, I had a friend that was making a pretty big change in his career, and he, he had a very lengthy interview and. And when he came back, I was anxiously waiting to see how it went. And he didn't say he blew it. He didn't say he got the job. When I said, how did it go? He replied, I feel dirty. I thought that was an interesting response. And as I drew him out, he went on to explain, you know, most of my Christian life, like we sung today, I'm boasting about Christ. I'm not boasting about myself. I spent hours Elevating me and elevating self to put on the best display of me that I could. Nothing wrong with that. That's just an interview because I just felt dirty. I felt like as a believer, I'm boasting in my weaknesses. I'm I'm pursuing Christ for my weaknesses. I've gotten to do some interviews over the year where I was the employer and I was interviewing, and I've run certainly into some strange things. <laughs> One young lady that we were interviewing, my office partner and I, we always asked, what do you perceive as your strengths? What do you perceive as your weaknesses? And when when we said, what do you believe is your strengths? She says, I'm very beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Thought that was odd. (laughs) Of course, we had to unpack that after she left, but I won't repeat that conversation. But here's one that I bet you've never encountered in a job interview. You sit down, the guy I'm interviewing, the gal I'm interviewing says, What do you think is your greatest asset that you would bring to the company? And you say, well, my greatest strength is persevering patience. I endure. I'm a patient person. Oh, really? The employer might say, please elaborate. Oh, I know patience when things get difficult. I understand suffering and how it builds character. And others have said that I'm very steadfast. I kind of get how patience and sufferings work together. That would be an odd interview. Put that in the category of I think I'm beautiful, um, but James is not writing to college seniors trying to get skilled in writing an interview. He's writing to fellow Christians. You'll notice repeatedly now what was absent from from the prior text is brothers, brothers and sisters is what that means. Brothers is said at least three times. These are brothers and sisters that are suffering. These are brothers and sisters that. Uh, are in churches filled with people experiencing difficulty, people being taken advantage of. And James, the wise pastor, wants to redeem this suffering, wants to teach them that God is redemptively after something and to kind of don't waste your suffering, we might say, today. Why? Why does God want us to redeem the suffering? Why Why? Not just grit your teeth, get through it, and get back to normal, as we've been saying since COVID hit. Because God can only do certain things while we are suffering. God can only accomplish certain things when we are in trials, when we have tough times. And I know I gripe and complain about my frivolous uh, suffering, maybe a little back pain or traffic on the way to church, but there's people in our church that suffer in very different ways, and he wants us to have our attention. Here's his point. God is building his character in us while we patiently persevere circumstances he brings to us. God is building his character. That's the redemptive work. God is building his character in us How many of us have quoted Romans 8 being conformed into the image of Christ? That's hard work. A lot of that happens in suffering. God is building his character in us while we patiently persevere, endure in circumstances that God brings to us. That's James' point today. And there's three things that we can draw out of this text that I believe will help us to see things redemptively, help us to see things to the wisdom of God. And the first one is persevering patience looks to the future. Back in our text here in verse 7, here's the command, be patient. There will be another command, do not grumble. And let me just immediately go to the very last verse. For we know how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. God is not absent in this. James has given us some commands. He's going to instruct us here, but he ends with the Lord is compassionate and mercy. We must remember that. Persevering patience looks to the future. Look where James goes. Be patient. There's the command. Be patient. Therefore, now drawing us back to the difficulty that was outlined In the prior passage, the prior section, be patient, therefore, brothers. Now he's talking to fellow Christians, until. This is a season. Until is a beautiful word. Until introduces eschatological thinking. There's a season for this. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. A clear call here and command to be patient. James calls these scattered Christians gathered in little churches. And, of course, the immediate context are those that are patiently persevering, patiently enduring what we learned about last week. Those that are hoarding wealth. Those that are defrauding laborers of their wages. Those that are living in self-indulgent luxury at their expense. Those that are even robbing the poor sometimes of life itself. In response to that, James, I'm sure this was a very popular part of his letter, said patiently endure. So that's the immediate audience, but it has wide application. Suffering, some in our midst are suffering health, but they wake up, they don't even know what the day might hold for them. Others, just the difficulty of living in a fallen world, difficulty in the workplace, difficulty in parenting, difficulty with relationships. So to all of us, the broader context is just life in a fallen world. Yet, the same truth. God is working his character. He's building his character. And he's not silent or on vacation, inactive, while we are walking through these difficulties, if you are enduring oppression from an employer, from a relative, from a neighbor, God has an agenda for you. He calls you to be patient until the return of the Lord. We don't have time to be exhaustive here on the return of the Lord, but we must remember God is a patient God. You ever wondered why the Old Testament covers like 1800 years and the new testament covers like one generation. See, only in the new testament do we get to see God's patience, that aspect of his character over and over again. He called Abram to leave everything he knew, all of his social security, all of his secure everything that was secure for him and to go to a land that wasn't even named. 25 years later, now Abraham is very frustrated. Come on, let's get this program. You promised something. God promised that Israel would be delivered from their suffering. 430 years later, God's promises came true. If you look at a generation of 40 years, that's 11 generations of patiently suffering. God is a patient God. God promised the uh, exiled Israelites that got kicked out of the promised land that things would be rebuilt. But it took all the way till Christ came for those to be rebuilt. So God is patient and God is building his character in us. God wants his people to be marked by patient perseverance. I wish I had a more popular topic to bring you, but that's what the word of God is teaching us today. How do we do that? We look to the future is the first comfort, the first insight that James gives us until the coming of the Lord. Well, what is that? We don't have time to be exhausted, but if you read Matthew 24 and 25, you can walk away with some key things here. One, nobody knows the day or hour of the coming of the Lord. Two, he's gonna come back with a host of angels his return will be visible and unmistakable. It won't be like, maybe we saw a UFO. No, this will be visible and unmistakable. Very clear in Scripture. The coming of the Lord, third, brings final judgment to mankind. All the accounts will be reconciled. And fourthly, the coming of the Lord will bring joy and blessing to all those who have put their trust and eternally in his presence for all believers. But back to this, God is a patient God. 2 Peter 3, 8, Peter adds this, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Our puny little brains can't fathom that. But we are to live in a way that we expect this truth, this reality that he's coming, and yet know that he is a patient, patient God. So this is for a season, until the coming of the Lord. And to reinforce the point, James here goes to the farmer and uses him as an illustration. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early in the late rains. an agrarian culture, they would have immediately got it. Today, it'd be like, oh yeah, it's like when you go on Facebook, or it's like when you email. They just would have got it. Farmers worked hard. Back then, there were no John Deere tractors. There were no big yellow Tonkin truck kind of equipment. Uh, they worked hard. They planted in the fall. The early rains in that that desert area usually came in the fall and that's what got the crop going. The later rains came in December, January and that's what matured the crop. No matter how hard the farmer worked, he absolutely was dependent and had to be patient on the one ingredient that would make it happen. Rain. So it's a great illustration because they patiently waited on the Lord or nothing was gonna happen. So the church here could relate to a farmer persevering and patient, enduring and patient for something that absolutely God was in control and it's no different for you and I. He says then in verse eight, you also be patient. He repeats the command. You also be patient. And then he says something interesting. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Paul uses a similar language. 1 Thessalonians 3.13. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. Establish your hearts the best way to think about it is when you've got something in the back of a truck that might get moved around and jostled in transit, you tie it down. Establishing your hearts gets these convictions deep into your heart. It's tied down so that you own it. It's not gonna be tossed to and fro by every difficulty that comes your way. God is building his character in us. It's only for a season. We don't know what the day of the Lord but God wants to build convictions in our hearts that anchor us, that tie us down, that are established in our lives. So a couple application questions already. Do you have a conviction about the coming of the Lord that establishes you when oppression comes, when suffering comes, when difficulty comes? Do you have a conviction? Secondly, do you have a conviction that God is at work in your suffering? That makes all the difference. That's the, uh, uh, what's the line? The, the, the transforming effect of a divine perspective. Right there. God is at work. This difficulty can be my friend. God wants to build character, his character into my life. And third, is the coming of the Lord and the coming of the Lord at hand any comfort to you in a real and practical way when difficulty, suffering comes? How would you answer that question? Is the reality, the fact that God is coming, the Lord is coming, any comfort at all? Or do you just grit your teeth and endure? Just grit your teeth and let no biblical truths inform and shape how you walk through that. Good questions to discuss. I've enjoyed watching the Phoenix Suns as they've gone deep into the playoffs. And their coach, Monty Williams, I heard years ago, uh, wife was tragically killed in a car accident. And actually, I... I finally looked up the details about that and didn't realize that person on meth was driving 92 miles an hour, head-on collision with her and a few of the kids uh, in in the car. She died. The drug person died. I remember hearing some of the headlines about his character and so forth. I assumed he he was a believer and uh, heard some more of that this week. And I decided to look it up and read. Uh, Someone said, you got to read or listen to his eulogy and, and it's out there and here's the man days after his wife suddenly died poised quoting scripture preaching Jesus and there's well known famous NBA players coaches, owners in this large church and he is real make no mistake this is hard Make no mistake, my kids are suffering. But, and probably the most touching part is when he wrapped up, he said, and listen, I appreciate you being here. I appreciate your prayers for me and my family, but there's another family that lost someone tragically. We have no ill will against them. That man was patiently persevering, patiently enduring something that God brought into his life. That's very difficult. That's in the deeper theological waters of God's activity in your life. But in that moment, he glorified God with his words, with his actions, with his attitude. Well done, Mr. Williams, that's what God is doing with every little difficult moment, every moment season of suffering. We, we prayed this morning for, for people that might be suffering, and, and you know it's funny, the people that have health problems I mean, every day is, is an adventure, but you talk to other people and they're like, "No, it's not a bad day, it's not a bad month. I'm having a bad decade, you know. Everyone's at a different place, and everyone relates so differently. But here, we can look to the future. That was so beautiful when Monty Williams was wrapping up that eulogy, he said, again, thanks for all the prayers and so forth and so on. He's very sincere. And he said, but you know, I didn't lose my wife because when you lose something, you can't find it. I know where my wife is and I know I'll be joining her. It was powerful. It was powerful. So, He looked to the future to find comfort in a very difficult moment, and that's James' instruction to us. Secondly, patience, persevering patience is built with one another. We don't do this on our own. The second mark that God wants to make on us, the second aspect of his character being built in is he doesn't want us grumbling and complaining. Look at verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, So that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Here's the reality. When you're stretched, words come forward. Here's the truth. When you're challenged, you speak. We were created that way. And God says, when I bring difficult circumstances in your life, do not grumble with one another. And unfortunately, guess who gets the brunt of all those words? people you're around the most, your family, your church friends, your community group, the people you work with, they feel your grumbling. Here's a quick example. Last year, COVID pandemic hits. Your pastors say, here's how we're going to do church. Your employers say, here's how we're going to work. Your family members say, here's how we're going to do birthday parties and so forth. That's just rearranging our life. That's not even suffering. Let's not even put it in the category of suffering. What words came out of your mouth when you look back? What words came out of your mouth when that small inconvenience was brought into your life? I don't know anyone that went without food. I don't know anyone that lost their home. A few people didn't have toilet paper, but you know that's not the end of the world. So examine yourself. Was I characterized by grumbling to one another with just a little bit of God-ordained difficulty brought into my wife? My wife to my wife. I bring difficulty to her all the time. Into my life? Listen, when it gets tough, grumbling starts to go. And James very wisely says, don't grumble against one another, brothers, against your Christian friends, against these people that love and are walking together life with you. And so God's going to use these moments to build his character in you. And I want to borrow some truths from Paul Tripp. It's in most of his materials because this is a great truth to remember Listen, Monty Williams wasn't an immature believer that just miraculously had a mature moment. I don't know the inside story, but there were probably hundreds if not thousands of times that God built what you see on a YouTube video into his life. You're not going to go away to a weekend conference up on the mountain and have a mountaintop experience with God and completely get patient perseverance, enduring patience. No, God builds it in 10,000 little moments, as Mr. Tripp likes to say. The little moments of your life are profoundly important precisely because they're moments that happen to be the address where you live. Did you catch that? Custom-fitted moments for God to build his character into you. Think about it this way. The character of any person's life is not shaped by two or three grand big moments of life. A person's character is formed in 10,000 little mundane moments of everyday life. It is the character that is formed in those little moments of life that determines how you think and respond in the big few moments of life that you encounter. Pay attention, church. God is working in your life now for probably some difficulty down the road. Don't waste your redemptive moments. Don't grumble with one another which would be the biggest sign that you're wasting your redemptive moments. Work with uh, work with me. Look turn with me to back to uh, James chapter 1. This is similarly close to what we learned in James chapter 1. Look at verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You know how you can interpret that? Count it all joy, my brothers, when God brings 10,000 little moments of trial. When God brings, you fill in a blank. What is your trial today? What is tempting you to grumble against one another? That's what we see throughout Scripture. Here's a few more. Do a little Bible study on this. Start with James. Go re-listen to those sermons. And then look up Titus two. 11 through 14, listen to how Paul writes to Titus, the pastor of the church. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us. Did you hear that? Grace trains us Grace has appeared in the person of Jesus Christ and now by the Spirit is training us, in this case, to not grumble when suffering and difficulty comes, but to patiently endure what God is doing. I want you to turn to this one because this one's not quoted as much, but very similar language. Turn over to Hebrews 5, just a couple of pages back. Mark this one and go back and study it. Hebrews chapter 5 It's actually a rebuke, but very instructive, very instructive of these 10,000 moments that we can grow and have God's character built into our life, starting in verse 11. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. When he says about this, he's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you've become dull of hearing, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Your suffering is not wasted, is the basic principle. God is not inactive in your suffering, is the basic principle. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. Now listen. Listen very closely and go back and study this. But solid food. Listen, now he defines the mature. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice, trained by 10,000 little moments to distinguish good from evil. You could almost have a sermon title there that says practice makes perfect, but that wouldn't be real biblical. (laughs) Jesus makes perfect, (laughs) but you see how he uses the means of 10,000 little moments from that guy that cut you off to traffic, to that cancer report from the doctor, to that phone call that says there's been a death, 10,000 moments for us to practice with one another, to be tested with one another, to not grumble in our difficult circumstances, but to Look to the future and to patiently persevere what God is doing in our life. So James calls us not to grumble. I'm going to tell you about a great article that I want you to do for homework and possibly for community group. But here's a, here's a little gem from this article, grumbling a look at a little sin. God will cast us into situations where there's no hope for us but to trust him where we're beyond our strength and wisdom. I would say Monty Williams was beyond his strength and wisdom. I believe any one of you that has that kind of tragedy come across your phone, you would say, all I can do, like we sung this morning, is turn to Christ. But we have inspiration. We have inspiration to patiently persevere. We have inspiration beyond just looking for the coming return because we only have to look to our Savior. We only have to look to our Savior to have that transforming perspective of a divine perspective. Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed. Jewish Christians, you oppressed from your employers? Jesus was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not His mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Listen, church. Jesus is prophesied seven hundred years ahead, not because he's a great example, because there is power when we're identified with Jesus Christ. When you are born again, and you enter into the identity with Jesus Christ, when God when, when God regenerates your heart and gives you life. That power, the power that Jesus Christ walked in, is now available to us because of what Christ has done. We do have the tools, however imperfectly we walk through this, to grow and to, to have grace come and rescue us from those moments that we want to grumble and complain. Just add this to go and review another time, Hebrews 12,3 through7. Consider him, it's exactly what the author of Hebrews is doing. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. This is not a grit your teeth and get through it kind of Christian discipline. This is considering Jesus. He purchased for us the power that can actually come and transform us moment by moment so that when we have to give a eulogy, we can give glory to God. When we have to shut our mouths when someone says that incredibly probing and profound question, how are you doing? We have the power to give God glory So another piece of application, when you leave, our welcome team will hand you this article. Read it, devour it, reread it. This will take the second point of this message and really drive it home, and it's worth further study. So secondly, God calls us to not grumble. Third, persevering patience looks to the end. Persevering patience looks to the coming of the Lord. Persevering patience calls us to not grumble, and persevering patience looks to the end. Look at our text again. Reading in verse 10, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As an example of suffering and patience, endurance, persevering patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets Who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now, first of all, there's a little bit of a lesson here, if you catch it. He doesn't name any prophets. There's an assumption that these believers in these churches know about the prophets. Do you know about the prophets? If not, maybe it's time to do a study. You can't take their example and let it inform and help and shape you if you don't know about the prophets. So look at the prophets. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. You know what James is doing here? He's such a wise pastor. He says, look at the farmer. Think about the coming of the Lord. We're going to look at the prophets, and we're going to look at Job. What's he doing? He's getting your mind off of your suffering. He's trying to see the redemptive work that God is doing, building this patient character into you, and he's moving us to other things that can shape and inform, and in this case, the unnamed prophets. Think about those who spoke in the name of the Lord. Boy, if there was an application back there, I would say persevering patience would have to be one of them. You could interview prophets for that because what did they do? They went out and spoke in God's stead but think about their audience. They, were, they didn't get in trouble for doing wrong. They got in trouble and they had a hostile audience for doing right. And they had to absolutely trust the Lord. They had to be steadfast. They were speaking to people and getting mocked, tortured, flogged, stoned, sawed in two and killed by the sword. Their audiences were hostile. They had worldly Israelites that didn't want to hear about it. They had uninterested and rebellious people God had been dealing with. Patient perseverance can be learned from the prophets. But look where he goes. This this is the end game here. Verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed. So pause. Behold, we consider those, those unnamed prophets blessed blessed. You know why? Because their steadfastness is highlighted in Scripture. The end game is highlighted in Scripture. Douglas Moo writes, to be blessed is not the same as to be happy. The latter speaks to the state of our emotions, the former to the objective state of our relationship with God. The end game here is a blessed life, God working in us, us being obedient to whatever he calls us to, patiently persevering, enduring. The Bible calls that the blessed life. Consider the prophets, for they were blessed because they remained steadfast. Well, you only have to look over to Hebrews to kind of learn a little bit. You know, Saul who didn't remain steadfast, it's not mentioned, but who is mentioned. Hebrews eleven twenty four. 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. And then this last line, for he was looking to the reward. For he was looking to the reward. To the he wasn't preoccupied with his difficulty. He was looking to the reward. Hebrews 10, 32, another one to study and let it inform you. But recall the former... Now, this is the author of Hebrews trying to encourage these Christians who were suffering in their own way. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened... You endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. When you go to Scripture, when you study the prophets, it's the end game that God has in mind. He is bringing difficulty into our lives. He wants us to think and be shaped and be even inspired by the end game. And then he specifically mentions Job. This is interesting. Look at verse 11b. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Well, if you talk to someone, and if they've done any study at all in the book of Job, they wouldn't walk away with that phrase, the patience of Job, Job was anything but patient. He was steadfast, but there's a difference between patience and steadfastness. Job was self-righteous. Job wanted an answer. Job was full of himself. I don't know how I would have reacted, but if you know the story of Job, he had four different announcements come one after another that took away all his wealth, all his kids, all his grandkids, The only thing that didn't take away his wife, she wasn't much help. We call that a bad day. That's a bad day. And Job self righteously demanded an answer. And most people, myself included, when you think about that story, how did it end? What was the end game? Right? If you're like me, most people go, well, man, God was faithful. Job learned his lesson. He had to stand up and put his big boy pants on and talk to God and God restored all his earthly wealth. I'd submit to you that God was after something more important than earthly wealth. Job 42, verse five. In fact, let's read the whole first, verse, the whole first section of that. Job chapter 42, I want to read verses 1 through 5. So Job's interacting with God now. God told him to put his man pants on. Now Job speaks. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. He was crushed. Words came out of his mouth things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak, I will question you and make it known to me. And look at verse five. This, I believe, would be God's chief purpose. I had heard of you by the learning of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Job, in God's redemptive purposes, grew in understanding who God was. Was that's the end game for Job? That's God building His character into Job with very difficult suffering. But that's encouraging and inspiring for us because the God of Jacob, Jacob the God of Jacob is the God of us. The God that that brought Jacob, Job, to it to me, James, to an end is the same God that will show us the end if we patiently endure with this biblical mindset. And then he ends with God's character. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, again reminding us we're not on our own doing this. God sent his son. There's great inspiration and there's great redemptive Gems and understanding that God has purpose in every aspect of our difficulty. And if that isn't enough, the prophets and Job, the ultimate end game is Revelation 21. We know what the end game will be like. We know where all this is heading. It is a fact. It is a reality that should be shaping, should be helping us. That's what Jesus came to die on a cross for so he could ultimately return and take us with him. That's where this all goes.